Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for another full hour of Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We're here uh, to serve Jesus, and we're here to serve you. We want to know how we can help you. We want to know what we can do to uh, broaden your understanding of God's Word so, or a life situation you might have or anything where you could use a little bit of encouragement, admonition, counsel, let us know. We would love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. My uncompensated panel is Dr. Greg <laughs> Borgon, Tom Parrish, and Jeff Verdorn. So we've got uh, Dr. B, Tom P, and Jeff V. That's but there's the only one that didn't get any pizza. <laughs> oh, God. Gosh, you were just bringing that up again, aren't you? So... Yeah, I was gonna do it. Th- I was gonna do it today, just yeah. to get you off my back, and I didn't. So yeah, I'll do it in a couple of weeks. How's that? All right. Okay. okay. All right. So a little bit of cleanup before we get started. Uh, Tom, you wanted to say something relative to what you said about Greg in the last hour. Yes, Greg has also been a pastor, and I want to clarify that—not just an academic, but a pastor as well. So I think, uh, and I respect that, and I think deep inside, he's seen a lot of that, and it, it wears you out, and that's the part that's yeah, I think hardest sure in the ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay, lots of great questions that have come in. Let me know, 877-933-2484. This is a tough, tough question, and I am so sorry. Let me uh, first just express my my heartfelt uh, sympathy. Um, the question, comment is, my brother committed suicide last week. Mm. He was baptized years ago, and the Lutheran minister proclaimed everyone is going to heaven, so he must be going to heaven. Please tell me the truth. He said he was an alcoholic drug user who lived his life without a care, not like having faith in God, but dangerous lifestyle without regard for his life, motorcycles with excessive speed, wheelies on the highway. So sounds like he was lived life fast. Tom Parrish? It's a, you know, as a Lutheran pastor, I would like to have a talk with that Lutheran pastor because to me, that's, that's kind of a, um, forgive me, it's going to sound rough, a cheap way out of a tough situation. And what I mean by that is this. Yes, I believe strongly in the covenant, the covenant grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism, no matter when it occurs. However, you still have to respond to Jesus. There still has to be a point, And we used to talk about it in Lutheranism. We don't anymore. The age of accountability that there's a point where you have to personally accept this for yourself and respond to it. Now, I don't know what the Lord has done with your brother. Only the Lord can know that. And that's what I tell people because I've done funerals that were suicide. I've done funerals that were murders. I've been involved in a lot of things. I don't know what the Lord does. I do know this, that no one goes to heaven without Jesus. And that pastor sounds like a universalist, which I would utterly reject because without Jesus, you don't get in. So... Uh, you would probably enjoy the debate. If you think I had a good debate with these two guys here on panel, hmm. let me with that Lutheran pastor because I think he's misleading people. Anybody else? I, I, you know, I had a good friend 
commit suicide a number of years back. He was a strong believer in the Lord, but uh, had a troubled background, and he um, he just it always affected him his whole life. And as an adult, later in life, he committed suicide. Um, his best friend and another friend of mine, fraternity brother of mine, was uh, Catholic. And some traditions believe that if you commit suicide, you can't go to heaven. First and foremost, if someone is in Christ, Christ has forgiven you of all unrighteousness. All your sin has been forgiven and cleansed. doesn't matter how you die. Now, that's not God's desire for your life, obviously. Uh, but uh, suicide. bottom line, suicide does not disqualify you from heaven. But the first question I would ask is, is the, do you believe the person was saved or not? Did the person ever profess faith in Christ? Did the person ever say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior? And if so, then I think it's a pretty good probability that they are in heaven because they have professed faith, uh, even though they did wheelies every once in a while. Um, you know, the bottom line is that you don't have to get too far into Scripture to, uh, as Tom said, to understand that universalism is not biblical. Yeah. There's two roads, there's two gates, there's the wide and the narrow, there's the sheep and the goats, there's the wheat and the tares, there's the righteous and the unrighteous, and there are two distinct destinies yeah. for each category. And, and it's good to understand that um, just because you're a follower of Christ, it doesn't mean you're not susceptible to depression, despair, mm. discouragement. Mm. You know, we're all brought into this world, we were created in the image of God, but that image of God has been marred by sin. And so we have a lifetime of ashes that cover over that warm ember of God's image, and it takes a fresh breath of the Spirit to blow that those ashes away and for that to well up again. But, and you know, you can make bad decisions. You can be under ter- terrible stress. It could be a chemical imbalance. You could... There could be a number of things. I had a close friend as well, Jeff, uh, just this year. It was a concert pianist. That's, he, he was played wonderfully for the Lord, and he took his own life. Yeah. And I said to his wife when she contacted me, I said, you know, I said, let me, let me approach it this way. I said, he probably laid his keyboard at the feet of Jesus. Jesus gave it back to him and said, play something for me. Mm that there's no doubt in my mind that this individual knew Jesus Christ and that he met him. But it's terrible when somebody commits suicide, they end up cutting off what God could have done through them and what God may have designed for them before they ever came to be. So they'll never fully reach what God intended for them. So that's the real tragedy. But it doesn't mean that they aren't with Jesus Mm -hmm. if they truly Mm -hmm. receive Jesus as Savior. And one of the sad parts is that the church today... Is primarily an event. I don't care what the nomination you are. It's an event on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. The early church in the book of Acts, it was a lifestyle. They were involved with one another on a regular basis. Now, I know they live close to one another in the villages, but they had a, probably a daily interaction in some form. And when people had trouble, they had other Christians there to talk to them immediately. Most Christians, you know, unless they call the pastor for counseling, usually don't call other members and say, I'm having some terrible thoughts and I don't know what to do with. Can we gather about five other people together and we sit and pray for the next couple of days until this goes away? But that's what we ought to be doing. And yeah. if we did that together, I think that that 
from my experience as a pastor, most of the people I've talked to that have committed suicide, and yes, Greg is right, there are chemical imbalances. Yes, people do get do strange things. Most of them have wound up hearing voices that tell them how worthless they are and how they really have failed in life. That's the enemy. And who do you talk to about that? Who do you go to? That's where we need one another, and churches need to be organized around that. In the church I'm in, St. Paul's, we have developed the church into house churches. We have the Sunday morning church, but there are 10 to 12 people in the house churches, and they are responsible for one another. That's where the counseling primarily takes place, unless Mm. there needs to be medication involved. That's where the holding accountable takes place. And if you don't show up, they're going to call you on the phone. Why didn't you attend the midweek, you yeah. know, gathering? Well, that's real community. I mean, it was Francis Schaeffer that uh, back in the uh, 60s that identified an upper story and a lower story. What he meant by that was we are religious and we do religious things on Sunday, but then the rest of the six days we live in a lower story yeah. and uh, we don't allow our faith to to influence uh, what we've done. Now it's been called the sacred, sacred secular divide. And our society right now is saying to us as Christians, you have nothing to say to me in the workplace. It's all right if you want to worship on Sunday. Your faith ends where my nose begins, but don't allow it to be interjected into the workplace or into your life. But what you're referring to, Tom, is really what the church in some respects have gotten away from to recognize there's no differentiation, that Jesus is Lord of all and in all. Uh, both the upper story and, and the lower story, and there's no differentiation. There are no stories that we're to live our faith out in community to do the very things that you're talking about. All right, gentlemen, in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 38, I'll, I'll read it. Uh, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the question comment is... Uh, I know your guests do not believe that being baptized for the forgiveness of sins is necessary for salvation. Why? It's immediately after the first gospel message preached after the resurrection. Well, for for one, to me, repentance and baptism, uh, repentance deals with the idea of the benefits that will accrue to your account when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. There must be a turning from your life of sin. There must be some demonstration. There must be fruit befitting repentance. Oh, uh, And baptism is an act of obedience because you repented. And so you're declaring in that particular, and from my point of view, and we've had this discussion, but in my point of view, it's it's a declaration that you intend to live differently. So I don't see them as equivalent when they're put into a sentence like that. I see them as addressing two different functions of being in the faith. One is for salvation repentance. The other is an act of obedience because of salvation. Yeah, if, if baptism was a requirement um, for salvation— then every single time that the Word of God says, this is how you are saved, uh, it would have to then include uh, believe and or repent and be baptized and you would be saved. Uh, The problem is I could rattle off probably 20 or 30 verses that say this is how you're saved by faith or by believing alone, and there's no baptism mentioned at all. So we have one example where it says repent and be baptized and you will be saved, but we could rattle off 20 or more passages where it says, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ yeah. and 
and you'll be saved. John 3, 16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he's risen from the grave, you will be saved. Uh, and a couple dozen more examples where baptism is not mentioned. So yes, water baptism water baptism is not a requirement for Tom, salvation. Tom, you've, you've talked several times about ministering to people on their deathbed yeah. and have been a witness to people coming to Jesus Christ yes. at, just before they, they passed. Yes. They didn't have a chance to be baptized. No, they didn't. But you wouldn't say that they weren't saved. You'd say that they were, they were saved in the kingdom they, of God. Jesus was there. They declared him as Lord and Savior, just like the thief on the cross. Yep. And so I think, I think what we're trying to say here is that repentance, baptism, the presence of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Spirit is all important for a believer's life. We're not denying any of that. Yeah. The New Testament doesn't give us a definitive sequence on how all that happens. The definitive sequence is to repent and receive Jesus. Yes. Thief on the cross. And then you go on, and it's different almost for each individual. But it really comes down to this. You know, repentance alone doesn't save you. Jesus saves you when you repent. Baptism alone doesn't save you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ covenant in baptism that he brings that saves people. And receiving the Holy Spirit... Uh, is the byproduct uh, of all of that happening. And the problem we see it as a byproduct, or the way it's said here by Peter, is that most of us don't see the power of the Holy Spirit during another person's life until they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a, it's a sequence then in that sense. Yeah. So it's a hard one to sort out. The thief on the cross is just such a wonderful example. You mentioned it, but it's 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 good to dwell on that just a little bit more because the thief, all he said was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed who this man was, yeah. and he believed that he had the power to bring him into this kingdom, even though they were both about to die on the cross. Yeah. And Jesus, Jesus knew his heart. Yeah, He did. Exactly. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So <laughs> there's a lot of bad theologies about salvation out there, about you know, good works and or uh, baptism, for example, many that, that are, they all disappear in this example because... This man was a thief. He didn't go to the right church. He didn't, you know, wasn't baptized. He didn't give to the poor. He didn't, he didn't have good works. He didn't do any of that stuff. And yet Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He was saved because of his faith. Yeah. It's interesting. I have had people come to me and say, hey, I was baptized as a kid. I went to church. I've fallen away. I've done all kinds of horrible things and that. And, and I don't know if I'm saved anymore. How can I, how can I be right with Jesus? What's going to happen? The first thing I do is I don't go back to their baptism. I don't go back to any moment in time. Mm -hmm. I ask them, where do you stand right now? And are you willing to publicly confess with me aloud that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and the only way of salvation? When I can get somebody to do that, I have great confidence mm -hmm. that they're in the right place. And then I can reassure them. And I see that when I deal with people with demonic who tell me they come from a Christian background— the very first question I ask them is, since you're a believer, will you right now confess with me that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Let's do it together aloud. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And if the demonic is involved, I have had people swear at me and curse at me and yell at me right on the spot and tell me how much they didn't like Jesus. That's a different story. But for those that, that want to confess that, praise God, confess it today, because today is the day of continuing salvation if it's an ongoing And sequence. you have them do that out loud. Yes, I do. Yeah. You know, I work with men, and I've been in ministry with men for 27 years, and I tell men all the time, it's one thing for you in your mind to say you're committed to doing something. But I know men, 
if they publicly declare what they believe, how they're going to live their life, or in this case, a profession of faith, in front of somebody that matters in their life, there's a 90% chance they will follow through with that commitment. Exactly. The opposite is true when they don't. Exactly. All right. For, uh, one last thing. First Corinthians 12.3 is based on that. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus uh, says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's why you have him yeah. say it out loud. Yeah. All right. I want to see how resilient Guy Talk listeners are. I want you guys on three to sing in unison. We'll be right back. Uh, Do we have a tune? No, there's no tune. I want to see what you guys sound like impromptu on three. One, two, three. We will be right back. Yeah, boy, there's going to be listeners dropping off quick. All right. 877-933-2484. Just loves to humiliate us, doesn't he? Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, welcome back to Guy Talk now with a lot fewer listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying the singing wasn't, you know, I wasn't top notch, but it was kind of impromptu. It's true. We'll practice. I did put you guys on the spot, so thank you for delivering uh, with what you had. I well, appreciate it's easy it. to understand, Bill, because when the Lord created Jeff <laughs> and, and Greg and myself, yeah. if he would have given us a gift of singing, we'd be on Broadway. That's we wouldn't true. be proclaiming the That's gospel. That's true. That's All true. Right. All right, here's a question. Guys, last week a girl called me from another city and in about six minutes told me three times she wanted to die. Her voice was slurred. Eight years ago, I helped her in a bad situation here, and she was baptized in a good church. At the time, but I told her I can't help her. I prayed for her and told her she should get away from the people she's with now. Her Facebook pictures are very sensual. What would you have said? Hmm. I think it's a pretty good start. I really do. And I hope that this individual may have some way to stay in contact because my experience is with people that are saying these things, the devil loves isolation. Mm-hmm. Keep them isolated from other believers. Keep them isolated from people that will tell them they have a purpose and value, and uh, the devil oftentimes succeeds. So I hope you can continue to do that, and I encourage you to do that if all possible. And then if you've got a team of people you can bring around, bring them around and get on your knees and pray for this yeah. woman because she's in trouble. I, I, I tell men all the time that you become who you hang around with. I tell that to my grandsons all the time. Be careful who you choose as a friend, who you bring into your life as a confidant, uh, because it'll be easy to be swayed by a negative influence. So be very careful. So this person, uh, that is the right first step, is get away from those that are are compelling you to live in a certain way, because naturally you're going to come up with doubts. The other thing is this, the Holy not the Holy Spirit, but the, the enemy, Satan, or his minions, cannot read your mind, but he can sow thoughts into your oh, mind. Yeah. There's a reason why Satan uh, tempted Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 4 in the desert, but they spoke out loud. It wasn't a mind meld, and Jesus responded to him in Scripture out loud. So the whole idea is is that um, being around people that that know you and, and that love the Lord is going to be much better than being around people that drag you or the enemy dragging you 
into um, uh, a point of despair where you can only conclude what was concluded. Now, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character, and it wouldn't yeah. be the first time that a good person, uh, even a believer, has been corrupted by bad company. But two, I, I think we act generally our behavior. This is kind of a worldview principle. Our behavior is based on what we believe is true. And if she is acting in a, a an unbiblical, bad way, a self-destructive way, chances are she's believed some lie that she received from the enemy, from his minions, from the world, you know, whatever. World flesh, the devil. The world yeah. flesh and the devil. And so don't stop pouring into her the truth. Jesus said for a reason, the truth will set you free. I think that's primary for salvation, but it's also for life. Truth uh, replaces lies and and will set people free. But yeah, if someone just, is in that despair, yeah. the biggest truth that you could probably tell her right now is just to 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 explain to her, God loves her. She is of infinite value to God, and and this kind of self destructive behavior is not God's will for her life. If you are my disciples, there's the conditional clause yeah. of what you're referring mm-hmm. to, Jeff. If you are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Being a disciple is being not only a follower of Christ, but surrounding yourself with other believers to give you the opportunity to grow and to be prayed for, to be taken care of, um, and you're going to be part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Two additional things I would advise. Mm-hmm. Number one, if she's living in another town or away and not close by— there are, in almost every city now, there are Christian outreach groups that will literally go and knock on somebody's door Amen. who makes a mm-hmm. call like this, mm-hmm. that will go and say, we want to pray with you. We talked to Pastor, or we talked to your friend Jim, or we talked to Susan. We would like to do this. The other thing is, if you can't find anything on the internet like that, and they are there in a lot of places, there usually are local churches, and if you come from a strong, you know, if you're a Lutheran, Baptist, or whatever the background— there's got to be churches there that are close by you can call because I've gone out on those kind of calls where literally I've gotten called. My my niece lives there in the Twin Cities. She's having trouble. Is there anybody in the church that can help her? And I was able to make the first contact. I wasn't the long-term contact, but to literally, and I tried to go over and knock on the door and actually pray with the person. There could be a Celebrate Recovery group at a church awfully close to where she lives. Yes. And if you were to able to contact that church, I bet there would be eight people that would volunteer to go knock on our door. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. And, and yeah. say, we would love to come pick you up and bring you to a meeting just so we can love on you and meet you and meet you where you're at. So See, that is a, the church. That is the and church in action. That. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, here's a question. It is implied that if Jesus wants God to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us, does Jesus want God to retain our trespasses that we refuse to forgive others? Well, I can tell you, first of all, he doesn't want to. <laughs> That's not as well. But I think we carry the burden on ourselves. I think his uh, forgiveness is more abundant than we can understand. And he is ready to forgive. But if you hold on to this stuff, you sure give the devil room to hold on to bitterness. And it makes it harder and harder to hear the voice of the Lord. So uh, I'm not so worried about the Lord heaping it back on me. But how do I get honest with the Lord about what I'm carrying or how I feel about this? The other thing that we need to, to recognize is uh, in several places in Scripture, it says that God blots out yeah. our sin. He puts our sin behind him. He's the only being that can do that. We can't forget. 
but it's not that God forgets, but he chooses not to use it against us. He blots it out. He sets it behind it. it. If you're being constantly reminded of the failures of your past, it's not of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, because God wants to bring you to the victory of the future, and the struggle is in the present, but God is God and Satan is not. So if you're constantly being shamed, God does not shame us. He convicts us. But if you're being reminded repeatedly about your failures, even though it's been nailed to the cross, it's not of the Lord, it's of the enemy. Good yeah. word. Scripture declares that he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. He separates our sins as far as the east is from the west and yeah. remembers them no more. He no longer counts our sins against us. That's what forgiveness yeah. is all about. So you stand forgiven completely before God through faith in Jesus Christ. A counselor friend of mine once gave me a wonderful definition of forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is choosing not to seek revenge. Yeah. And so God is not holding things back for a, a, re, a vengeful time later in the future if you blow it. Hmm. Uh, forgiveness is choosing not to seek revenge. I'm working on my revenge plan for that horrible <laughs> song you guys sang. <laughs> Yeah, but we didn't ask to sing it. Oh, I know, but I'm just yeah, thinking you, you guys... You invited better. that travesty. I thought you would have performed better. All right, Jeff, I got something pointed toward your direction. Jeff, you are assuming that the thief on the cross's words were the direct and only cause of Jesus telling him that this would be the day he would be with Jesus in paradise. What you fail to see is when Jesus looked at that thief, Jesus saw all the thief's heart and all That's his life's mentioned. actions... Maybe the thief had repented his sins. Maybe the thief had observed Jesus's works of mercy or beatitudes. Well, we we have the story that we have, and we don't have any information about the thief prior to the account of the crucifixion. Uh, I'm assuming that this man who was a thief was a criminal and was being crucified for a reason and probably didn't, but... Uh, you know, that's the, I get the point. It's That is an assumption. But the scripture itself, Jesus says, today you're with me in paradise. I think the natural reading is because of his profession, the thief's profession, there on the cross. Because remember what comes before that. What comes right before that is the first thief says, if you are the son of man, get us yeah. down from here. Like, I want reprieve from this. And if you're who you say you are, we we all want to be set free. Mm-hmm. Did he believe? Did he believe in his heart that he's Lord? No, he didn't. The second thief basically says, we deserve our punishment. Oh, there's that godly sorrow that leads to repentance that Paul talks about, Good right? Yeah. We deserve our... He understood now that he was a sinner, and this guy who was being crucified next to him had the power to bring him into the kingdom, even though they were both about to die. So I think it is a natural conclusion to believe that that thief was saved by his profession that he made to Christ on the cross. Well, I think the the key to it that I see is this. We like formulas. We like a certain way of doing things. I think the New Testament shows us all the formulas boil down to finally submitting to Jesus and his shed blood. And whether it's a thief on the cross, because he certainly doesn't use the words I would use if I asked somebody to repent, if it's somebody else— Jesus knows. And that's all that matters. And I think the devil is very good at getting us off the target of Jesus and getting us on to either our traditions or the way we've always done it, instead of what are we saying to Jesus? What are we saying at this moment? I, th- I think there's something, though, to what the the person who raised the question that, that, we, that we've been dealing with. 
When you take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that's when, of course, Samuel is at the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. And Jesse has eight sons. One is in uh, away from the house with, with the sheep, and that, of course, is David. But Eliab, the oldest, is braided in front of him. And Samuel thinks, because of his appearance and his height, obviously as the accoutrements of kingship, this obviously is the anointed one. But God stops him right there, not seeing the second, third, or fourth son yet, and says, Samuel, man looks at appearance and height. I've always looked at the heart. So I don't know. You know, it's, it's implicit. It's not explicit. It may very well be that God knew the status of that man's heart as well as his profession, which which really revealed what was in his heart. So there may have been a combination of both is all I'm saying. All right. We're going to take a little break, and we got a recommendation here, gentlemen. Do you know the tune of Lullaby of Birdland? Oh, gee. That's a great one, isn't it? Look what you started. I know. I'm just so sorry, but <laughs> here's the tune. We will be right back. Please stay tuned. See you soon to the moon. Yes. <laughs> Like sing it. it for us. But I'm not going to sing it. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> Do you guys want to try? We will be right back. Please You're going to try tuned. this again? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I've created a monster here. I like the tune, but Yeah, it's a great tune. But anyway, you guys are giving me the blank stare. So, no more singing. We'll we'll rehearse during the break. How's that? All right. Let me know what questions you have 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Welcome to the show. If you just tuned in, it is Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. I've got Dr. B, Tom P, Jeff V. That's the panel. 877-933-2484. That's the text line. Here's a question uh, from Jeannie, and this is a question directed to Greg. Greg, what did God reveal him uh, about himself to you when you traveled in Ireland? Oh, oh I'll you tell just you. lit up, Greg. We might not have enough time. I understand uh, that. But a, a couple of things. Uh, how important it is to allow yourself to come to a place of a new equilibrium to get away from the um you know the the anxiety of of your existence and give god a chance to go ahead and speak into your soul and the beauty around ireland and especially it, since 90% of the, the the country of ireland is small villages it's just absolutely stunning flowers growing wildly that we pay lots of money to go down to fratellonis or someplace else to buy grows wild there, the friendliness of the people, but the sense of God's beauty and the quiet and serenity. I, there were many times I sat out in front of that cottage on the edge of Ashford Castle in the darkness of the night, and all I heard was the baying of sheep, the winnowing of horses, the mooing of cattle, um, and just this, this stark silence, just the majesty and significance of God and his beautiful creation. Greg, there's an app on your phone for that. You don't have to go to Ireland <laughs> to hear all those noises. <laughs> I know there's an it's app called, on it, it's but it's, sleep it's absolutely different. <laughs> it's absolutely different. But I mean, it, and it also it was just, it's an opportunity for my wife and I to have these wonderful conversations around a, f- a fireplace in the morning and the evening because it's cold in the morning and cold in the evening. That was, that was another thing. 
friendliness of, of the people and, and, and uh, engaging people in conversations that matter. All of that, Bill. Yeah. All of that. Neat. Thank you. All right. Uh, can you comment on Paul insisting on not knowing anything but Christ crucified to the Corinthians? It seems knowledge must come with the power of God to be true. Well, there's a difference in knowledge. I mean, there's having a knowledge about something, and there's having a knowledge of something. I think what Paul was talking about was an experiential knowledge of something. It wasn't just a gathering of facts and data, but it is true. I mean, facts and data are important, but sooner or later, you have to move from a knowledge about something to a knowledge of something if there's going to be a relationship built. All right. Anybody else have anything they want to throw in? Well, there's certainly a whole lot more. I mean, look at all that Paul wrote. So there's a ton of things that he talks about. But I think the center for him was understanding and knowing this Jesus who was crucified for his sins and really understanding him as the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. You know, it's, again, I've used this reference before. When I was dating my wife, there were lots of things we did together. I can't remember them. There were lots of things we did, you know, and, and I bought her lots of pizza and things like that. But for me, the only thing that mattered was being with her, even though... I can't tell you what dress she was wearing. I can't tell you how she wore hair. Being with her, and I think that's what Paul's saying here. Just mm-hmm. being with Jesus is all that matters. Yeah, the context of the passage, you got to go back to 1 Corinthians 1 before that. And God is, uh, Paul was writing the Corinthians about the wisdom of God that, that comes upon people, the foolishness of the world. Uh, can, this, can this wisdom save us? No, it can't if we preach uh, Christ crucified. He's the stumbling block. He goes on. I mean, there's several paragraphs here. Uh, about the truth of God and what what he then says, I I want to know nothing except him crucified. Uh, this isn't saying that he doesn't need or want to have knowledge about anything else in this world. Paul was a very wise man, and he understood the world and the culture around him. That is evident when he debated the Jews, when he debated the Greeks, and so on. He was obviously a very wise and learned man. So it doesn't mean that you can't know anything else. That's That's not what it's saying. All right, here's my next question. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, has my head spinning. I'll read it. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Can you break these verses down for me? Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Well, they, first of all, the, the verses appear to contradict each other. In other words, to answer a fool according to his folly is to keep replying to his remarks in order to show up their folly. Uh, verse 4 gives the, the general policy, answer not a fool, because you'll end up uh, like him yourself. So, as he responds to your reply, which is further folly, according to the, the, the notes I'm reading here. The interchange will have no end. Give the exception, answer a fool, because sometimes he or others may think to their own harm that he cannot be answered. So, so the point is, is that um, what's going to be the value of the interchange? Is it going to be a dialogue or is it going to be a monologue? If it's a monologue, why engage in that? Don't It says in Scripture, don't be involved in senseless arguments. So what's the purpose behind it? If there's really an inquiry, 
I mean, if you're dealing with a, with a, uh, a skeptic, you simply answer the question they're asking. When you're dealing with a cynic, you question the answers they're giving. I like that. I think this is a, a kind of a statement that says, "Don't." You were kind of describing it, but don't stoop to their level. Don't engage in the same kind of conversation. Yeah. Don't under. Don't entertain the foolish talk. Rise above it, if you will. Uh, there, there are loftier matters, maybe. So don't stoop to the same level yeah. as the fool. Mm-hmm. All right. I am in Mark, and I'm in chapter nine. It says, "If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed." Then with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. We better get the interpretation of this right. Otherwise, we're all in trouble, right? Mm, Yeah. We all be maybe walking around without body parts if this was to be taken literally right. So yeah, it's hyperbole. Uh, yeah. So it has to be. It's it clearly is not being taken literally. Uh, it's 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 Jesus is saying it's it would be like it would be better. By the way, it would be better Amen. if you would cut off the body parts that were causing you to sin. But look, this is in the Gospels, and one of the truths that we have is that Christ came and died for sin, and that once you believe and are saved, all your sin has been forgiven and is cleansed. So that is the the reality of salvation. So um, I think this is hyperbole. Yeah, you exaggerate a point to make a point. Right. Jesus did that oftentimes in his parables. So it, it draws your attention to show the gravity of what's to follow or the lesson that's to be learned or the statement that... that that needs to be conveyed. Yeah, and it's not about cutting off your arm or anything else. The issue here is how serious salvation is and how serious damnation is. Mm-hmm. And I think we've kind of even lost that in our culture and in the church because we don't, we haven't been there. I haven't been to heaven. I haven't been to hell. I don't know what it's like. Now, as I've told you before, the couple of people that tried to commit suicide who told me they had a hell experience said, if you think this is real, you should have been where I was, and I never want to go back there, and then depending on Jesus, did not let me ever go back there. So we haven't experienced that, but Jesus is saying, look, it's better to lose an arm than it is to go to this place. Believe me, I know what it's about. I've seen it, and he has the authority over it. I mean, the sidiousness of sin and, and how deep it penetrates and the damage that it creates over time is, I, I think, not addressed enough in the church and the ramifications of somebody's sin. For crying out loud, it, it, it drew Christ to the cross. It was a matter of us uh, pinning all of the sin, past, present, and future, on that cross. Our sin is what nailed them to that cross. Yeah. That's how terrible it is. And that's why God it can't be anywhere near it. That's why it won't be in heaven. Mm. And that's why he made the provision for it because of the damage that it causes. Mel Gibson's film uh, about 20-some years ago by Jesus. Yeah, the, the, passion. the passion. The Passion. I find it very strange, and I've been in churches that I personally, like on, on Good Friday, I want to show the beating, the actual film yeah. of the beating. It goes about eight minutes long. And everybody's like, oh, we don't want to see that. Oh, it's too yeah, much. Yeah. I don't want to see that. Well, it thinking, is hard. It is well, hard to watch. It is hard to watch, and it should be hard to watch. And that's the problem. We don't get close enough to really understand what's happening. When I was in, uh, in Bangladesh, I was on a river, and across the river they were burning bodies. And the wind was blowing in my direction. Lucky me. I had never smelled a burning body before. I will never forget 
what I yeah. what I smelled in that moment. It's the same way here. Well, I mean, you take a look at the crucifixion, what the actual crucifixion was like. Now, you're you're right, Jeff. I mean, it's it's a terrible thing to contemplate. It's a ter- terrible thing to witness for, let alone contemplate. But the crucifixion alone and what Jesus went through, to me, demonstrate his tremendous love for me that he would experience that kind of pain, that kind of torture, and pay for a penalty that I justly deserved. All it does is drive the point home what a tremendous sacrifice it was. You know, on that Passion movie, there was a little bit of a controversy before it was released because he had in the movie that line when Pilate is trying to release Jesus and Mm -hmm. the Jews shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. And, you know, that exchanged back and forth. and And then the Jews say, no, let his blood be on our hands, right? And some people were complaining to Mel Gibson, some Jewish groups that saying, you got to take that out because a lot of people have used that to justify anti-Semitism in some way, shape or form. Right. And so the question is who killed Jesus? And you said it, did the Jews kill Jesus? Well, they arrested him. They brought him before Pilate, but they didn't have the power to crucify him. Did the Romans kill Jesus? Well, they had the power of the cross and over life and death, but in reality, all of us killed killed Jesus, Jesus. all of our sins sent Jesus to the cross. We got time for your question. Get it over 877-933-2484. I'd love to get your question, especially if you've been thinking about it for the last hour. Get it over. <laughs> 877-933-2484. We'll be right back with Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk in just a minute. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to Guy Talk. We just have a couple minutes left in the show. It's been a wonderful couple hours. And if you missed any of it, I always encourage you to go to the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. A lot of good Q&A today. A little bit of a cage match in hour one. (laughs) We're all doing good, though, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are. We love each other. We featured our first song. uh, Who's we? And our last. Who's we? (laughs) Who's we, guys, right? Which I don't believe I'm going to do again. (laughs) I think that was probably a horrible idea. But you know what? you got to try things, right? So why we live under forgiveness spell? Yeah. yeah, and we trust you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you for trusting. We're going to practice. Yeah. Trusting me, yeah. So when you uh, go to the Lord in prayer, what's your first thought? Is it gratitude? Is it praise? Is it adoration? What do you do? What's the, what is your first thought? When you're alone with God, what is your yeah. first thought? My, can I, uh, I'll start. Um, Father. Mm-hmm. Father. That's my first thought. Okay. Um, it's a relational thing. It's a, it's a closeness thing. It's an endearing thing. Uh, sometimes it's, Father, I need help. Sometimes it's, Father, I love you. Sometimes it's, Father, I've got this request. Father, I need the keys to the car, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's almost always Father. Yeah, I'm actually teaching on this this Sunday on prayer, and then we have our... A uh, day of fasting and prayer, and we meet for 90 minutes in the evening to pray. 
a lot of the emphasis I see here, and it took me a long time to get here. I mean, I was good at telling the Lord my problems for a long time and asking him to fix things. And he's he's very patient with that. I spend a lot of my time now uh, giving him praise mm-hmm. before I start asking for anything. And the one thing that I picked up as I was preparing for this sermon, it's got to be praise with passion. You're passionate about who he is and passionate about what he can do. And when we call him the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Lion of the Tribe of Judah, they aren't just nice phrases. There's real power there that Christians need to put to work. So I'm doing much more praise. Yeah, for me, it's gratitude. It's just being so grateful for what God has done for me, for my family. Um, and like we were just talking about Ireland, the beauty of Ireland. I, when I preceded my prayer in, in Ireland, I was always thanking God for the beauty and the gift of, of, of his creation. So when you show gratitude to God and you have an urgent prayer and you really want a specific outcome in a prayer, how do you end it? <laughs> Thy will be done. Do you end it with, Lord, I'm claiming this because you've promised to hear my prayer and answer it? For, for me, I, I usually end by saying, Father, I'm lifting this prayer up on your altar what you do with it is totally up to you, yeah. but I'm just pleading with you to respond in this way. So I'm not saying that I will be done. And in essence, I really am because I'm trusting him, even if I don't get the, the answer that I want, that there's something else going on behind the scenes. I've, I've been in the faith long enough since 1973 to trust him because he's been faithful. Just like what David said, even though he was anx- full of anxiety in Psalm 13, he always concluded, I will trust you. For you are my salvation. I agree with you, Greg. I usually say something to the effect, it's up to you, Lord, not me. You know better than I do. This is what I'd like. This is what I'm telling you. But you're the king. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a relatively new song out. One of the lines is, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And that's what you guys are just describing. Yeah. God is good. He is faithful. We can trust him. When we pray to him, we can trust that he will do the best thing. And so what you you all, in a way, describe the, but God, here's what I am requesting, but your will be done. And in the end, that was what Jesus prayed, right? We were just talking about the cross. Yeah. Jesus know, knew what he was facing physically in that cross. So he prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. And I think that's a wonderful way to end all of our requests that we bring to God. Excellent. All right, Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So the question is, if it's up to us, free will and salvation to accept Christ, isn't that of yourselves? Yeah, so this is a question we were talking about earlier. It's the debated uh, breakdown or interpretation of this passage. Does the not of yourself apply to the gift of salvation, uh, that is by grace, this gift, it is a gift of God, or does it refer to the faith that is described? And, you know, that's debated. I think it's the salvation that is from God. It is the gift of God. It is by grace, and that's the subject of that particular verse, so it's not of yourself, refers to the salvation that God pours out, which only he can do, yeah. 
which only he can forgive, only he can give eternal life, only he can redeem, only he can justify, only he can make you a child of God, only he can give you the Holy Spirit. All those things that come with salvation are the gift of salvation that comes from God to those who believe. Yeah, it, it, it's a gift that you receive. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that you said, okay, the only one I'm going to receive from you, God, is this, these, this has got to be in the package. We're not saying that. That would be, it's, it's not our own. So the, the whole idea is we're receiving something we don't deserve that we didn't ask for, but God is giving it to us yep. as a gift. It's not of ourselves. It's not something we conjured up. It's not something that we demanded. It's a, something that we receive. I like pictures, and so I always tell kids in confirmation, it's like being out in the middle of the ocean in a little boat, and you get a leak, and the boat goes down. And you're swimming, and you don't have a life preserver, and you're in trouble. How are you going to save yourself? Well, you're not going to save yourself. You're going to drown is really what it comes down to. But then out of the blue comes this boat, and then we call that grace. By grace, here comes this other boat. And then the person in the boat throws you a life preserver, you know, and we could call that faith. Just because you grab onto life preserver doesn't mean you've contributed anything to the salvation of it. What you're doing is receiving what the Lord has already given you. And in that, all I can say is thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, last question of the day. Can I pray to ask the Holy Spirit to work in someone's life? Yes, yeah, well, sure you can. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's the counselor, it says. That's one of his names. So you can ask him to counsel somebody. You can ask him to intercede. You can ask them to sensitize them. You can ask them to convict them. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. You're making that request in prayer. And this is true, whether or not the person is a believer or an unbeliever. If they are a believer, the Holy Spirit is in them, and they will clearly work in that person's life if they are outside of the will of God and something that they're doing in their life. But if they're not a believer, the Holy Spirit still plays a role, as we talked about in the first hour. The Spirit draws people to God. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment, and he will work in that person's life. One of the great prayers that you can pray for an unbeliever is, Lord, bring circumstances in their life that draw them to you. Powerful prayer. Thank you, gentlemen, for a great couple of hours of Guy Talk. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to being with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.